you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to be looking at a very, very interesting story today. We'll be on the screen, but it's one that um, I will say can be troubling. Some of you may have remembered the story. How many of you, this is our little Bible quiz for the day. How many of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible? Okay, some of you may know that story. All of you should be able after today to say, I remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. <clears throat> this is a couple that is a part of the Jerusalem church. Remember, just to bring everybody up to speed with the context of this story that's recorded in the scriptures today, um, the church is, in, is, is kind of in its founding stage, trying to figure out how to be different than what the Jewish faith is. They're engaging in activities at the synagogue and at the temple. Um, we're not too far removed from Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. There's a lot of political unrest. There's lots of things that are happening there. It's a very, very critical time in the life of the church. And I think it's important to remember the context of this because in life, not every moment is the same, okay? Not every time is exactly the same. You know, if you're a, if you're a baseball player or you know anything about baseball, then you know that if it's the second batter in the third inning and it's the third pitch, that that's not as important of a pitch as the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded and you're, and you're up by one, okay? That pitch is more important because of the moment. There's a, a sense of urgency. There's higher stakes. And this is true of life. If you're at work, there's times at work wherever it's, it's not that big a deal. You know, some of our folks here are, are, are law enforcement officers. You know, it's not as serious of a moment, maybe, if you're pulling over a 65-year-old white lady because maybe she didn't turn on her blinker, as if you go to pull over someone who's in, uh, you know, a car, and I mean, let's, all of life's profiling, by the way, but you pull over a car that looks like it's full of troubled folks, and there's, you know what I'm saying, smoke coming out of the windows. Let me just assure you, you folks in law enforcement are going to approach this moment in a different way than you're going to approach the other moment. This is the nature of life. All moments kind of slide along the spectrum. Well, that's true of organizations. That's true of families. This is just true of life. And in the emergence of the Christian church after Pentecost, these are very, very important moments. Part of the reason why you saw so many miraculous signs, you saw lots of very important things. And we established that Peter just told somebody to get up and walk who'd been lame. Um, later on in Acts, you're going to see lots of other things. So it's, it's a very significant moment, and that's important because things that happen in significant moments may not necessarily always translate one-to-one -one at other moments in time. And so we have to decipher what's taking place here and figure out how does that apply to us these many, many years later. So I want to read you the story. It's, it's 11 verses, so I'm not going to ask you to stand today. But in these 11 verses, we find this particular story of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember last week, right, what some of the people were doing. We talked about generosity. Many people in the church were taking and selling their possessions to assist the church in the mission, okay? And th this was what we just talked about last week in chapter 4 as it ended. And we find here the recording of this story. It says, But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. It's a troubling story on multiple levels. And before we really jump into it, I want us to remember that when we look at narrative in the New Testament, we should not assume that we know all of the details because we do not. We may not know what is the backstory. We do not know all of what is happening. And sometimes people get in trouble when we try to build on things that may or may not necessarily be true. For instance, I'll give you an example. We don't know that necessarily this is a miracle in the fact that she died or he died. Sometimes there have been people who were just called out and in a moment were shocked and died. We don't, we're not given the exact cause of their death. And some people get off track on that. We don't know the backstory of what transpired between Ananias and Sapphira and all the folks in between. We're limited to a certain set of knowledge, and so we have to figure out when, when this, why was this recorded here in the Scriptures, okay? And so basically what's recorded here is that this man and his wife are a part, we surmise, of the local church here in Jerusalem. As a result of either genuine motivation or maybe some other reason they saw that other people were selling property and they were bringing the money that was made from the property they were laying it at the apostles feet and the apostles were using this money to feed the poor to do all of these things and so they sold their property that's i mean at, at the very least okay this this is just a regular everyday event they sell their property and they bring some of the money to the apostles to be used for good. Again, nothing wrong with this here. It goes awry though what whenever it does what? When they claim that they that it was the full amount that was sold. Now this this is this is very interesting, okay? So now we now we're called into question at the very least some of their motivation. They and Peter admits this. Peter says, "Why would you do this?" I mean, it was your land. Nobody said you had to sell it. And guess what? Once you sold it, it was your money. Nobody said you even had to give it. But amazingly, what they did was they didn't, they couldn't leave it at that. They couldn't leave it at like, hey, man, we gave you part of what we got here because we were generous. We gave you what we could. We gave you what we felt was all we, we needed to do. Nobody asked those questions. No, they claimed that what? It was the full amount. So now we realize that, that they were doing a good thing, but somehow they got off track and there's lots of things happening here. And no doubt, 
probably just like in our world, someone probably knew about it. I mean, oftentimes, and I'm going to just give you a little bit of a different perspective. It's probably not like this just happened in one little snapshot. It's more likely that other people knew what the amount of the sale was. Somebody bought it. Somebody was going to get it. And so it was probably becoming an issue of now these folks in the church, or I'm not saying probably, at least a possibility that other folks knew they were lying. And so now it's, it's grown bigger. And isn't that the case with any lie? It always gets bigger. It just never goes away. All right? And so they, they say this is the full amount. Peter, and of course we do see here, it wasn't just him. The wife was a part of it. All right? Then Peter says to him, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now, on the surface, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. It's his money. Peter even acknowledges that. But he made it a big deal whenever he made the claim that he was giving it all to God. But it really wasn't God. He, he was lying. He was keeping some for himself. Peter calls him out on it. We don't know any more of the backstory, but as a result of that, what happens? As soon as Ananias hears the words, what does he do? He falls to the floor and he, he's stone cold dead at church. Don't nobody do that today. We don't need that. You know what I'm saying in our life today. But look, I mean, he dies right there at church. I mean, now there's lots of troubling things about this. I mean, and I, like I said, I, I have never made a claim to be a Peter, nor do I want to be a Peter or be so bold as to call somebody out for lying right there at church. But he calls him out for it, which that's what leads me to think that it was bigger than just, I mean, in just him and Peter, is it may have been had grown. I don't know that, but I just, you know, I mean, I'm trying to gather at what could have been happening here. But he basically gives him an opportunity and says, hey, why, why are you lying about this? And then I sticks to the lie, and he ultimately dies right there. They come get him. I mean, there wasn't 911 to call or 611 or wasn't, you know, there was nobody there to do CPR. They just came, got him, they take him out, and they're going to bury him. I mean, in and of itself, this is, what do I make of this, all right? I'm asking myself, I'm thinking you, start asking, why was this recorded in the scriptures? All right, but that's just half the story. It gets even more troubling to, to, my, to me as we continue to see what happens. About three hours after the fact, who comes in but his wife? All right, so his wife doesn't know he's dead. Which is not uncommon. I mean, she, you know, they he didn't know where he was. Maybe he's gone there. Maybe he's out taking care of other business. He was obviously a person of means. He had property to sell. She didn't know what he was doing, where he'd been. She comes to the to the to this particular group. And Peter asks her. This had to be awkward. He says, he doesn't beat around the bushes at all. He says, what was the price you and your husband received for your land? Or was this the price that you received for the land? Have you ever been in a position where somebody asked you a question and I mean, <laughs> look, that, that moment's hard. I mean, like when you're caught in the lie, you got to, she's, she's obviously knows that she's lying, right? And she obviously knows that he knows she's lying or, she, or Peter wouldn't be asking this. But amazingly, not amazingly, it happens every day, right? He knows she's lying. She knows she's lying. 
She knows, he knows she's lying, and still she does what? She lies. This shouldn't surprise you. Because the ruler of this world is what? The Bible tells us the father of all lies. And lying becomes something that becomes like, like the humidity in this room around you. You can feel it. And it becomes part, and, it, and you do things that you shouldn't, say things that you shouldn't, and, and it's, it's, it's terrible. She lies in this moment. Peter says to her, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they'll carry you out too. Boom, instantly she falls dead as well. We don't know the cause of it. Could it be the embarrassment? Could it be the shock? Is God involved in it? Those are questions that we don't have the answer to. The reality is that the man and the wife die. And as a result of that, rightfully so, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. Very unique story recorded in the book of Acts. So now we, 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 we see the story. And I want to pose this question before we really get into it because there is something here we need to talk about. Why was this recorded in the Scriptures? And I, I want to, to park here for just a minute, and I want to read to you a, a passage from 2 Timothy. Because, see, when you encounter a story like this recorded in the Bible, many people choose to take an alternate path that says, well, I, I can't really believe that. That would be too harsh. That, that, that really isn't true. And so, so throughout history, there's lots of people who do that. When they encounter certain things from the Old Testament or they encounter certain things that they can't process in their mind as to how this could work or how this could be, their default choice is to just say, well, that's possible. That's just not true. That's a trap you don't want to fall into. Now, it doesn't mean that you want to accept everything because there's some nuance and there's meaning. You've got to figure out what all this means. Why is it there? How does it apply to me? But you don't want to say, well, it's just not true because I don't like it. Because that leads you down a path that has led this world into chaos. And we see it on so many levels where people don't like the truth. So what do they do? They just change the truth. There's no longer, it's just not true anymore. Because I don't want it to be. Because I don't like that. All right? I'd like it to be something else. And that's not a good plan for someone who wants to make their life of significance and importance in God's kingdom. And so I want to read you this passage. Normally we just get 16, but I want to get the whole thing. Look, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, Paul writes to Timothy, and it's, it's really about this whole idea of the importance of the Scriptures, of the Bible. You know, Bob shared last week in his devotion about how in this Christian movement, the whole goal is to, to see what God's trying to teach us through the Bible. And that's very, very important. He writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is part of life. You're going to have some trials. And then I want you to know what it says. It says, but evil people and imposters will flourish. That was true. It's going to always be true. All right? They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. And this is the whole point of when you encounter something that is going to 
challenge the way you think. Maybe even make you feel uncomfortable from the Bible. Don't discard the Bible. This is the truth. It's been around. It's there. It stood the test of time. Let me figure out how I need to better understand this. What do I not see? What? It's okay to say I don't fully understand. That's a much better response than well, I just don't believe that. I just don't understand yet. Maybe it hasn't all been revealed to me. Okay? Then it goes on. He says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And this is one that all of us should remember. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, the scriptures, whether they're in here or whether they're in a book, whatever, that truth is from God through people under the direction of His Holy Spirit to... And I want to focus on this because in this world, no one wants to be corrected. No one wants anybody to say, that's wrong. But here's the thing. Everything that we do is not right. Everything that we think is not right. Everything that we say is not right. Every manner of nonsense and fornication and craziness is not right. Now, because you say something's not right or that it's wrong, doesn't mean that you're a judgmental bad person. It means you're a person who tells the truth. And the only way for people to take what is wrong and make right is to get truth involved. That's one of the things that is so disheartening to me about all of these things out there in the world where people are trying to make wrong things right. Because if you don't know it's wrong, guess what? You will continue in it. You will never come to the truth that what I'm doing is wrong, what I'm thinking is wrong, how I'm living is wrong. And so we as Christians need to really, in this day and age, hold fast to the reality that the Scriptures are there to teach us what's right, what's wrong, how for us to live, and ultimately to be prepared to do the good works of God. Now, why was this recorded? Obviously, there's many things that happened in the early church. I mean, why was this particular story recorded versus something that happened at a different day, at a different time? I, I can't tell you the, the reason of that. I'm not that smart. But, but I know that if it was recorded there, the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's got some usefulness for teaching, for understanding. So it leads me, and it should lead you to the next question, all right, in this story of Ananias and Sapphira, they come to come here, they drop dead. I mean, this is wild stuff. What can I learn from this passage? And so that's where we want to camp for just a second. It's very simple. We've got three little things. I'm sure there are many other things we could learn. But I just wanted to jot down three. I don't know why preachers do that, but that's what they do. They like three. I mean, maybe, I don't know, it's subliminal or something from what we learned in school. But there's three things that I uh, learned from this passage. The first one, it seems really, really simple, but man, it bears repeating. Number one, always tell the truth. You realize how much heartache and pain you can save yourself in life if you'll just always tell the truth? Now, I will be the first to confess, I have not always told the truth. I wasn't like George Washington, you know, but I, I try. And look, I know my father really instilled in me, always tell the truth. And to this day, 
I'm 47 years old, or I'll be 47 this year. I've never known of my father to have told one single lie. Not a, not a single white lie, which to his credit is unbelievable. In that regard, I have not always been my father's son. <laughs> the, uh, but I have hopefully tried to make things right whenever I did. But the point here is we should always tell the truth. Now, I, I jotted down something here because there's something interesting. You know, had, had, had Ananias or Sapphira just, Sapphira just told the truth, at any point in the deal, the ending would have been better. And look, here's one of the craziest things about lying. Is you think that if I lie and I tell another lie that somehow it's going to get better. It's not. Like, at whatever point you come to the realization that you need to tell the truth, at that moment, do it. Because whatever pain and suffering and heartache is coming, because there will be some that come. Because there's consequences. We reap what we sow. You tell a lie and you tell another lie. When you come clean, there's going to be some embarrassment. There's going to be whatever. But listen, that won't be as bad as if you carry it to the end. It's going to get worse. It never gets better. So always tell the truth. But in this story, I noticed that there seemed to be three reasons that Ananias and Sapphira could have possibly lied. And they almost seem universal the more I think about them. So I want you to just jot these down. Reasons that people lie, okay? We see it in this story. And the reason that I want you to, to look at this is because you might identify when these emotions or these things are prevalent that you might have a tendency to lie if you're not careful. The first one reason that people lie that they probably could have lied was the pressure. The pressure to do something everybody else has done. Which, peer pressure can be healthy, by the way. I mean, listen, the other people in the church in Jerusalem had sold property. It was a good thing. God was moving. Awesome things were happening. And for whatever reason, Ananias and Sapphira may have felt pressured that they needed to do the same thing. Many people lie when they get under pressure. It's very possible that what started out as a very good thing Got, went south because they couldn't have the pressure of, of saying, well, you know, I, I'm not, at this particular time, I can't give it all. Nobody was saying you had to give it all. Heck, nobody even said you had to sell it. But there was some pressure potentially to, to, to live up to this or whatever, and pressure makes people lie. So when you know you're going into a situation where there's pressure, you got to be prepared. You got to just be ready to always tell the truth. The second reason that I see that they could have potentially lied, but I know causes people to lie today, is perception. Lots of people lie because of what other people's perception of them may be. This can happen in a minister's life, right? When a minister may, may not want, you know, he, he's got struggles, or somebody in a church don't want people to know what their struggles are, so they got a perception, a false perception, that they have to, to maintain, and so they tell a lie. We see this all the time. Instead of just telling the truth, people lie because of the perception of others. I mean, how many people? are perceived to have means, and they lie about what they have. Proverbs says, what? One man has nothing but acts like he's got a lot, and one man has a lot and acts like he's got nothing, because of a perception. In your life, do you do you lie because of the what, what you want people to perceive you to be? 
Not good. And the third one we see there is possibly people lie because they want praise. This happens all the time. People take credit. Look, politicians, I, I, it's unbelievable to me how much politicians, I mean, look, they, they love credit. They'll, take, they'll try to take credit to get praise and tell all kinds of stories. But look, it ain't just politicians, right? It's, a lot of people lie because they want praise. They embellish what they've done, embellish their achievements, their accomplishments, and their, you know, they, because why? They want the praise that comes from that. So my point here is one of the things I can learn is, is whenever there's an environment where there might be pressure to be something, to look like something, or, or there's, there's a perception issue, and there, or there's praise to be had, maybe you got to pause for a minute and make sure you're focused on telling the truth and communicating clearly what the truth is. Number two, lesson you learn, I learn from this story. Motives matter. Like a lot of people live by the, you know, the ends justifies the means or whatever, you know, just, uh, no, motives matter. I mean, in this case, it mattered a great deal. You know, what your motivation is for why you're doing something matters to God because he knows what's really going on behind the scenes. You can fool people, but you can't fool God. He knows what's happening. And there should really be at the same time that there's great comfort in that, there should be a little bit of anxiety because we're all struggling with our own motivation. Some people are always so worried about other people's motivation, which gets them off track. Focus on yourselves, on our own motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Psalms chapter 44, verse 21. I mean, if you ever wonder, it says, Would not God have discovered it since He knows the secrets of the heart? I mean, God knows why you're doing what you're doing. And sometimes your motivation's wrong, and that's okay. You're a human being, just like sometimes your actions are wrong. This is life. But the sooner you acknowledge it and say, God, you know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm motivated in the right way here. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm off track here. Help me. Please forgive me for thinking this. Forgive me for acting this way. You know, forgive me for having this intent. Look, that's all God wants. He, he, he wants you to start in the heart with the right motivation. And then that motivation will translate out into the right types of actions. And it's very difficult because not everybody gets to see the motivations. You can hide that. That's why we see people all the time who have, who are bound up in wrong and evil, but it looks like things are good. That can be anywhere from the preacher to the policeman to the teacher. That can be any human being who's twisted up in their motivation. And that's not what we want. And we specifically, when it relates to what we're doing for God, in connection to the church, motives take on an even more significant role. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees because now remember the Pharisees, they look, they look good from the outside. They had all the checks in the boxes checked. They knew the verses. They made it to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday afternoon prayer. They were there. I mean, they, were, they did the right things. They had the right haircut. They wore the right clothes. I mean, they were, they were there. They were on point. I mean, so much that everybody else looked to them like, man, they got it figured out, and we need to let them tell us how to get to God. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That ain't, that ain't really the case. They're like whitewashed tombs. They're like dead men. And he's talking to them and he says in something that we could remind ourselves of. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Look, if what you're trying to do for God is like, hey, me, look what I did. Hey, that's awesome. We did this. Now, look, we're, we want to champion a great cause. And look, I want to champion you and anyone who donates to help this, our ministry of the next couple months where we're helping foster kids. Look, this is awesome. This is what we're called to do. The scriptures tell us. You've heard me quote it. No pure religion is what? Helping widows and orphans and those who are in need. So this is a fantastic thing. But here's the deal. If you came to church, and nobody I hope would do this, but if you came to church and this was like, awesome. I got, I got my 14 deals. I did my thing. Guess what happened? You took something that was good and it went bad. Because why? You think God, God's not worried about diapers. God's worried about what's happening in your heart. And so you don't want to be a person who's trying to shout to the world how awesome I am. Because at the end of the day, every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are broken. And the irony is that the more good we do, the more temptation there is to become prideful and to become less of who God wants us to be. And so we have to really keep our motives in check, and they matter. God really cares. And when it's involved with the church, He cares even more. Number three, what can I learn? You know, God takes the mission of the church very, very serious. You see, this wasn't just any old Joe Blow out there. Remember I talked about moments? This is a big moment. I mean, the church is trying to launch its mission to save the world into the entire region. At Pentecost, all the believers went out and they're, they're still at this point connected to Judaism. Paul hasn't even reached any of the Gentiles yet. So, so the people who are at all these other places who are in that diaspora who went out from Jerusalem... They're looking back and they're trying to figure out what's happening with the church in Jerusalem. How is that going to work? This is huge. Their unity and their generosity in this moment is, is very, very important. To use the baseball analogy, this is the bottom of the night. I mean, it's a very important time. Everything's got to go just right. God needs the, the believers, the apostles to really be dedicated and devoted to what they're doing. And it's in this moment that this happens. And God takes the mission of the church, not just then, but today, very serious. I can only imagine how he feels when he sees the people who have bastardized the church for their own personal gain or for their own personal influence or for some other set of circumstances. Because see, it's not a means to an end for him. The church is his mission to redeem humanity. And if there's ever a need to understand how serious God takes the mission of the church and you doubt it, put a picture like this one here on your phone. That's how serious God takes the church. It's not a country club to Him. He doesn't need a place to go. He doesn't need some activities for the kids. He doesn't need to have the air conditioning just right. Or he doesn't need to have the, everything just the way it wants, even though all those could be very, very important. 
behind it all, the mission of the church is dead serious to God. He gave everything for it. And when Ananias and Sapphira got close, too close to the fire and they were in jeopardizing this mission, somehow, some way, things didn't work out. And I'm going to tell you today, as I'm telling my own self, when we get in the way of the mission of the church, especially in the big moments, probably not going to end well. For some, they're going to go through this whole life. Maybe somebody watching this online. People we know who just can't quite grasp that their sinfulness has alienated them from God. That their brokenness, their line, all of that is so alienated them from God that without Jesus, they're not going to make it. And the enemy is sitting in their ear telling them, you're not that bad. Look at, and guess what? There's a, there's a bazillion people that you can point to that you're better than no matter who you are because there's a billions of people on this planet. But ultimately, that don't matter. The only one that matters is are you righteous and just? Do you always tell the truth every time, no matter what? Is your motive 100% pure every time? When you're confronted with the doing the right thing, do you do it every time? Obviously, no. And so what does that mean? That means you're a sinner. That means you're broken. And the only way you can connect to God is through His church. And the only way to connect through His church is through what Jesus did on that cross. And so I want to challenge you, if you've never done that, I want you to make a decision. Don't need to tell me necessarily right now. You got to start with you. You got to say, you know what, God? I'm a liar. My motives haven't always been right. And you could probably go right down the list of all the other Ten Commandments. And, and I, I'm, not, I, I'm not perfect. And you're not. Neither am I. But I'm going to have to stand before you one day, and I'm not going to have a real good reason for why I did all the things I did. I'm not going to have a good reason for all the sins I committed. What I'm going to need is some mercy. And I'm going to need some grace. And you know what? He wants to give it to you. All you got to do is ask. The problem is, some people can't ask. Because in the asking, they have to admit that they can't do it themselves. You can't make it on your own. You need God. I want to invite you. If you've never cried out to God for mercy, make that one of the most important things on your list. <laughs> and once you do that, He's going to forgive you. And it's not going to be a magic pill. You're not going to get up from that experience and you're not going to be a perfect individual, but you will have His help to begin to try to implement some of the things that He wants you to do. You're going to still mess up. 
You're going to get, if you get baptized and you get baptized, you're going to come out, and I've said this a hundred times, you're not going to be perfect when you get out. You're going to still go three steps back and you're going to fall. You're going to let yourself down. You're going to let other people down. This is human reality. But guess what? You don't have to worry about whether or not you're good enough anymore. You can rest on the fact that he was good enough. And that he's going to help you get better little by little, day by day. I think some of us, if we're honest, we hadn't been taking God as serious as he wants us to in our lives. His business is a lot more serious than what we think it is. And so I want to encourage us, you know, when we try to ask ourselves the last question, you know, what is God trying to speak to me? What is he trying to communicate to me? Don't get lost in what he's trying to communicate to others. You know, it's, that's hard for the preacher because he's, he's, he's trying to communicate what God wants to everyone. But ultimately, it starts with what's he trying to communicate to me? And i got to ask myself the same question. What's he trying to communicate to me through this passage? And I'll tell you this. You know, and there's some of things that are private that you don't necessarily need to know. One of the things he's communicating to me over and over is how important what he's doing in my life and in your life is. And it needs to take more importance than what I've given it in a lot of ways. I want you to ask yourself that question. What is he trying to communicate to you through this passage? And whatever it is, I want you to do it. Don't just say, man, that was a good sermon or that wasn't a good sermon or blah, 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 whatever. Just ask God, what do you want to communicate to me through this passage today? And then let him do it. And then follow through. Let's pray together. Father, help us to listen to your voice as you speak to us through your scriptures. Give us the strength of will and of character to follow through and to do as you ask. If there's anyone who's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray, Lord, that today they would not rest until they have settled that with you. Give them the courage and the strength to seek out myself or someone to talk with about this matter. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.